and welcome to episode 500, is it 568 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. want to welcome you to the show and let you know that we're playing the song Dark and Stormy by The Primitive Finks. It appears on their album Cave Party. You can find them at theprimitivefinks.bandcamp.com. Check them out when you're done listening to this episode here. Welcome to the show. Did I already tell you who I am? My name is Derek M. Cook, the writer, producer, and host of this here podcast. I'm excited because I've got another excellent film that we're going to talk about with another excellent guy. We've got Kevin Slick coming up here on the show. If you're an attendee of Monster Bash, you know this man. Monster Bash, I don't know if it could happen without him. I mean, he's always working as hard as he can to keep Ron Adams and family going to make Monster Bash happen. Am I laying it on a little too thick? I don't know. But Kevin Slick is amazing, and he recommended the movie The Innocence, and I am excited to share that conversation with everybody. Now, there were a little computer issues, and I'll talk a little bit about that when we get to that part of the show. Of course, that's all going to happen after Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review got all sorts of goodness happening this time around. But before we get to all of that, I want to share a couple of announcements. So first of all, I've made no secret about the fact that I'm a fan of Doctor Who, the movies starring Peter Cushing. I've watched, man, I could probably count on my hand, one hand, the number of actual episodes of Doctor Who that I've seen. I've not listened to any of their big finished productions or audio dramas or any of that stuff. I am not a Whovian, not because I'm not interested. It just feels very overwhelming to add yet another franchise to all the other franchises that I watch and consume and enjoy and that sort of thing. Although my girlfriend does like Doctor Who, so we've talked a little bit about her showing me some Doctor Who. Just, well, we'll see. I'm going to leave it up to her. Anyway, there were two Doctor Who movies starring Peter Cushing. Yes, they're outside of the can in the continuity. He's not really the same doctor that you see on television, but it's Peter Cushing. How can you dislike anything with Peter Cushing? You can't. I challenge you to show me something with Peter Cushing that I'm not going to enjoy. I've gotten off track. Let's get back to these Doctor Who films. And the reason I'm bringing them up is because I found out, courtesy of Radiotimes.com, that those two Doctor Who films are getting a 4K release on the big screen, and then ultimately on home release as well. But they're going to be showing these movies in the theater. Unfortunately, nowhere near me. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in July, specifically on July 10th, 2022. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the radiotimes.com article that told me about this. If you are in the area, if we have any UK listeners that are going to be able to check this out on the big screen, please go check it out and report back. Let us know how it is. Now, supposedly these are going to be coming out on home video or Blu-ray or digital or whatever 4K release as well. Now, I already own these two movies on Blu-ray. I don't know if I'll be picking up the re-re-re-release, but who knows? I want to see what's on those movies in terms of the uh, special features. The Blu-rays, that is. We'll see. It does say there are going to be some new featurettes, but I don't know. Either way, I think it's cool that these are getting another play on the big screen. I just wish it was happening somewhere near me. So go check that out. Something else I want to mention. Kevin is involved with Monster Bash, like I said. And in the past, I've gone to Monster Bash. 
when the COVID thing happened, and it's still happening, I guess, I stopped going, partly because Monster Bash, you know, had to go on hiatus, had to shut down, and then got a smaller return and, and all of that. So Monster Bash is happening again, but I'm not going to be able to go this summer. I know that we've been talking a little bit about it, and I haven't mentioned it much lately on the podcast. I have talked about it in the stream, but uh, on the podcast, I haven't really said anything. So I just want to kind of come out and say officially, Monster Kid Radio will not be at this summer's Monster Bash. Not for lack of interest. I think Monster Bash is an amazing time. It's an amazing experience with some amazing people. And the guests are cool too. But (laughs) I love the bash. And I love what Ron does. And I love what all the staff do. I just don't think it's possible for me to go. So I'm just going to go ahead and say now I'm not going to be able to go. Financially, it doesn't make sense. It costs a little over, if not more now, because of gas prices, $1,000 for me to go with airfare, hotel, and everything else that I've got to do. Plus, I'm a bigger dude, so traveling is a little more difficult for me. And yeah, it just is one of those things. So financially, it doesn't make sense for me to go to Monster Bash this summer. I'm stressing this summer. I'm leaving the option open for other Monster Bash events. We'll see how it goes when it gets closer to those times. So I guess... The silver lining is, if you've been trying to get to Monster Bash and you've been worried about not getting a hotel room, I'm going to be calling them this weekend to cancel my reservation, so at least one more room will be open for everybody. So, (laughs) silver lining, maybe. I have had an offer from, well, a handful of people to record events at Monster Bash to share here on Monster Kid Radio, and I'm going to take everybody up on that. Of course, I don't want people to be running around Monster Bash with recorders trying to get stuff for the show at the expense of them enjoying Monster Bash themselves. So if you're going to be at Monster Bash and you have the ability to check in or record something easily, I would love to have it for the show. And I would love to include you in the Monster Kid Radio Cyber Team, Street Team Extended Studio. I don't know. We'll come up with a clever name for it, but... Bottom line is, go to Monster Bash, have a good time, and if nothing else, after the fact, let us know how it is. The other thing that I want to mention real quick, and, you know, I debated whether or not I was going to say anything, but I don't want to bring things too down, but I know that we just lost somebody uh, in the Monster Kid community. Now, he's not somebody that's ever interacted with us here on the show, but he was a colleague in that he was a podcaster. I'm talking about Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried did pass away just recently this week. And, you know, you might be asking yourself, why is Derek even mentioning this guy? How did Gilbert Gottfried be part of the Monster Kid community? Well, like I said, he was a podcaster. Uh, He was a podcaster that had Sarah Karloff, Bela Lugosi Jr., Lon Chaney III, and other guests that were involved in classic monsters. He loved this stuff. His podcast... Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast was a Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award winner. I mean, that doesn't get any more monster kid than that, right? So just, you know, a moment of silence or a hats off or maybe an Iago sarcastic remark in honor of the late Gilbert Gottfried. Thanks for the laughs. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into the rest of this episode. Because You know what, actually? I'm just going to tell you now, because I don't know how many of you listened to all the way to the end. 
you know, the ending is usually just me wrapping up and saying, you know, call us, this is what you can do, whatever. So I'm going to get this out now. The stream this weekend, the Monster Kid Movie Club over at twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. Hopefully this episode goes out in time for you to make plans because it's Giant Monster Day on the stream. We're going to be showing kaiju films. We're going to be showing... Kyle Yount's Rondo Award-nominated documentary, Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction. That's going to be a lot of fun. But I also just got the okay. I haven't even mentioned this on Facebook yet. I haven't announced it anywhere on Twitch or anywhere else. You are the first people to hear it. Well, yeah, I think that's fair. I just got permission from SRS Cinema to show two movies from their catalog. So we're also going to be showing, you ready for this? War of the God Monsters and the Great Buddha Arrival. The Great Buddha Arrival. Oh man, I'm looking forward to sharing that with everybody. It's from 2018. It is one of, if not the last film featuring the late great Akira Takarada. So I'm going to be showing that this Saturday and 1985's War of the God Monsters. I'm really excited to show this one as well. It's going to be a good time. So we're going to be showing these movies. Uh, we'll find some other things to show as well. Some other public domain films, maybe some fan films. But you don't want to miss out this Saturday. Giant Monster Movies and the Monster Kid Movie Club. Free. 11 a.m. is when the pre-show starts. Around noon is when the movies start. Specific time. We show movies all day. So if you're not there right at noon, that's okay. Make sure you come by. We've got another great giveaway from Stuff with Character, courtesy of Tracy Morris with a commercial produced and edited by Scott Morris, who also does the pre-show, which you know is going to be quality. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to seeing you there and chatting it up while we're watching some awesome monster movies on Saturday. But first, like I said, we've got this week's episode to get through, and it's going to be a delight. So Derek, stop yapping. Let's get to it. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera the Invincible. 
Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Captain Kiriyama and the Ultra Guard get a major assist from the man who came from V3 in Ultra 7, Episode 13. That man is Commander Kurida, a veteran of outer space dogfights with alien craft, haunted by the recent loss of two of his men in just such a battle. Kurida and Kiriyama are old friends, and their reunion brings out a side of the captain that the Ultra Guardsmen are not used to seeing. The UFO Kurida grounded demands their attention, however, and Furuhashi and Amagi are abducted and held captive on board. The ship is out of fuel, so an alien force creates duplicates of Amagi and Furuhashi and sends them to TDFHQ on a mission to steal energy cells. Dan Muraboshi senses something unnatural in their demeanor and catches them stealing the fuel. When he shoots both in self-defense, their bodies instantly disintegrate, which convinces the guard that their companions are still alive. Kiriyama works out an exchange with the aliens, some fuel cells for the lives of Furuhashi and Amagi, and intends to do the deal alone. But Kurida may have something to say about that before it's all said and done. The man who came from V3 does an excellent job of humanizing the already likable Captain Kiriyama, enhancing his character by revealing him to be both an honorable friend and a courageous leader. There's a great deal of airborne action here, as well as the longest Ultra 7 fight sequence we've seen in a while. But episode 13 is at its best when it's exploring the brotherly bonds within the Defense Force. Now, if you're wondering what happened to episode 12, the short answer is it was banned in Japan. From a Planet with Love, featured a monster named Alien Spell whose design seemed to depict the scars of an atomic bomb survivor. Real-life survivors, sometimes referred to as Hibakusha, were not amused, and the outcry ensured that the episode was shelved, although an English-dubbed version did air on cable station TNT in 1994. 
for Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. This is Mark Mansky reporting. monsters alive surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind godzilla king of the monsters it's alive a gigantic beast stalking the earth crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction godzilla king of the monsters incredible titan of terror Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet planes cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief, the mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I can transplant his brain. If I don't, it'll die through lack of oxygen. In his nightmare mind, one more horror, one last horrendous act. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Peter Cushing, Veronica Carlson. Frankenstein must be destroyed. This picture has been rated M, suggested for mature audiences. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are going to continue our history of famous monsters, low-tech social media. In issue 5 from November of 1959, the FM Club pages added a new feature called Screams from Club Members, a listing of personal and classified messages sent in by club vice presidents. A sort of low-tech Craigslist. I have compiled a sample of common entries as well as some of the more interesting ones from this first installment. Let's listen to them. Screams from club members. Greetings, ghouls. 
monster vice presidents from almost every state in the country have sent in their bits of chatter for publication and good old famous monsters. So we're off on a wild ride on Dr. Acula's broom as we sweep up the dirt on local monster doings. Steve of Mount Vernon, Washington, wants a pen pal who loves monsters. His idea of a great double feature is, Dracula and Peg of my heart. T. Menard, of St. Charles, Illinois, has a bunch of back issues for sale of Mad Magazine and other Mad-type books. Bob Dyke sent in a picture of himself as Frankenstein, but the postmaster of Dearborn, Michigan wouldn't let it go through the mails for fear it would end up in the dead letter department. Billy McCown, of Philadelphia, sent us a pair of eyes and we thought they were real until we looked closely and saw that they were from an old toy doll. Bill Daly of Odessa, Missouri, doesn't want a pen pal. He just wants our managing editor, Miss Phyllis Farkas. Okay Bill, shall we wrap her as a gift? A letter from Dick Skula of Salt Lake City, Utah. Mentions that his English teacher, Mr. Aaron Beard of Hillside Junior High, has expressed interest in a famous Monsters subscription. Monster VP Bill Shepard of Allison, Iowa, is lonely for some monster mail. Jim McElroy of Shreveport, Louisiana, has 20 million miles to earth for sale in book form for 25 cents. If you are a girl monster fan, 13 to 15 years old, write to Jack Myers, of Albuquerque, New Mexico, as Jack is dying to hear from you. Leslie A.N.N. Ray, of Lindenhurst, New York, also wants a pen pal to brighten up her cave. Norman McVie wants to start a local monster club in Burlingame, California. A swell gal named Barbara Siermanski, of Newark, New Jersey, will make a good pen pal for some lucky guy. A wild wild letter was received from Robert Hild, of Pasadena, Maryland, who wants to start a club for teenage beatniks. Anyone who just can't seem to make the grade even in being a monster contact wild Bob Hild. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. From the spine-chilling world of the living dead comes a never-to-be-forgotten combination of motion picture thrills. Two great new terror hits on one sensational program at your movie theater. Horror of Dracula. Plus, the thing that couldn't die. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, the terrifying lover who lusts for human blood. Dracula, the human vampire who rises each night from his coffin bed to seek the rendezvous that alone can keep him alive. Who will be the bride of Dracula tonight? Horror of Dracula. All new and inflaming Technicolor. Plus this second thrill hit, the thing that couldn't die. What is it, this head that lives without a body? A monstrous thing that enslaves every woman, destroys every man who stares into its eyes. See both on the same show. Horror of Dracula and the thing that couldn't die. Tonight, the dead will walk, and you, unbeliever, will scream unheard. Stop it! The haunting. What do we really know of that other world of hauntings, of apparitions in the night, of the sinister powers of darkness? The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, the brilliant producer of West Side Story, and stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. deny terror. You cannot look the other way. You have to face the supernatural. Face the chilling mysteries of forces you cannot understand or control when the haunting holds you in its spell. The haunting. The haunting. The haunting. The haunting.
This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You know what, I'm just going to be honest with the listeners mm-hmm. here. This is a take two. <laughs> I've been pretty transparent about my various computer problems over the years here on Monster Kid Radio, and I had another computer issue, but I'm pretty sure it's operator error. It was ghosts. It was ghosts oh, that did no! it. <laughs> that, that would make sense. That, that would make good. sense. Fortunately, this week's guest, Kevin Slick, is incredibly patient and is willing to start over. So we're going to talk about a movie that he has talked about with me off and on, either at Monster Bash or online, or maybe even in the chat in the Monster Kid Movie Club. It's The Innocence, and it's awesome. As is Kevin Slick. How are you doing, sir? Great, great. And uh, it sounds like we both watched it just recently. I watched it today, and I think you said you just watched it uh, today, the day we're recording as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had started watching it at one point. at some point, maybe when we first started talking about it, however long ago that was. And I realized I was sitting on a gem and I wanted to wait until we had something more firm set up. So I stopped it. When I started watching it again today, it picked up where I had stopped before. I'm like, no, 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 I'm starting over because this is good. Yeah. So good. And I did watch it today. I thought I'd get some chores done in the living room while I had it on, you know, fold laundry or whatever. By the time the movie's over, I still have laundry to fold because I was just engaged and couldn't look away. Yeah, you can't look away from this. It it is so good. the The cinematography is is stunning. Oh, um, Freddie Francis, cinematographer, cinemascope, black and white, um, and it is. You know, there's so many things going on in it. The more I watch it, like I'll tell you, you can probably watch it ten more times. Mm-hmm. continue to see new things in it. One of the things I noticed today watching it was Deborah Kerr, who's stunning in this film, as a governess comes to this uh, place to take care of these two children. It's a huge, huge estate. And she goes into the house for the first time and it's you know it's this marvelous, incredible place. And there's a, a vase of flowers, white roses. And she goes up to, and it's like, oh, they're so beautiful, and touches them, and they and a bunch of the petals fall off. So the, the roses are dying, you know? <laughs> and it's like these, <laughs> there's several scenes where there are white roses and petals are falling off. And it reminded me, I mean, immediately what I thought of was um, Horror of Dracula, where oh. every time when Dracula is about to appear in the film, you see dead autumn leaves come drifting by. Huh. Okay. And I, I learned that actually from uh, one year at monster bash and I, Oh gosh, I'd love if we could do this again sometime. Bob Tunnell, fabulous writer and director was there and he did filmmaking one oh one with hammer films. 
and showing us all these different films like in for example in horror of dracula there's the scene where peter cushing is encountering uh lucy character of lucy okay she's coming back to her her grave like after a night of you know going out on the town as it were and he pulls out the crucifix and she cowers away and he pushes it towards her and he, he puts it on her forehead and it burns the you know the crucifix burns into her forehead one of the things he pointed out in that was the sound effect of the starts like just before he actually gets there and he talked about how you know they they use that sort of thing but he also used the element of the dead leaves and and pointed out that every time when christopher lee is about to appear on screen dead leaves come by so in this film there's the the white roses you know mm. white perhaps being a a symbol of purity um is like decaying and that maybe that's a theme in the the story because you have these children you know children are are generally thought of as being pure and innocent they're the innocents right but man alive these children do not they do not present as innocent as the most devious devilish kind of characters on the planet and they are so creepy in this movie when they're on screen together in particular when the the brother and sister are interacting they almost seem like they're interacting uh in a frequency or on a level that is just just barely outside what we can comprehend yeah. there's something happening here there's a communication there's something going on and it's just unnerving to watch and especially listen to and whatever the boy calls the governess dear i just cringe yeah oh yeah oh yeah there's and again yeah the i think one of the things they do so well is if <laughs> they play it like it might not be that strange but they've planted the seed that it is strange that there's something going on and then so now you're watching it like everything he says and does everything the little girl says and does is creepy because mm -hmm. there are ghosts and the ghosts uh, of the former um governess and the the groundskeeper who were lovers we understand um they may be possessing the children uh, and and Martin Stevens, who plays the boy, who's wonderful, he had some experience with that because he had previously made uh, Village of the Damned and Children. Oh of the yeah, yeah, that's what? okay. Uh, so he's he's he was well versed in in being creepy. <laughs> <laughs> he he did look a little familiar to me, but I I, I didn't bother to go look because I didn't want to. Well, like I said, I couldn't look away. <laughs> I was well, watching the movie. Those films, you know, has that blonde thing uh -huh. going on but in this he's he's dressed um they don't really i don't think they really state when this film is is supposedly set but it appears to be set in the in the 19th century i'm assuming this is the 1800s somewhere people mm -hmm. riding about in carriages and and such and their dress and so he looks i mean he looks like he just popped out of a charles dickens novel <laughs> you know a little young man who's just come home from school and you know with this little outfit on and everything like that um he presents as so much older the way he talks and that's like a creepy thing little kid you know appears to be 10 years old speaking as if he's a, an adult 
No. Well, I don't know, my dear. Why do you suppose that is? Why do you think you see these things? And this sort of stuff, you know. Oh, man. Talking about, you know, you're much, you know, uh, uh, maybe you're seeing things. I hope not. I hope you don't have to wear spectacles. You're much too beautiful for that. <laughs> you know, and it's like, ooh, like, what's this kid on about? Um, uh, well, he, he takes it, uh, you know, just there's a lobby card showing the scene where he he plants a kiss on her and yep. it's just and he really plants a kiss on her and it's like a sensual kiss and, uh-huh. and you're and, but then it's like well is she responding to that kiss or where where's that going and oh yeah i was <clears throat> mortified but yeah but what are you gonna do lady what are you doing <laughs> yes yes this whole idea uh. of of ghosts and possession or, you know, is, is played out in this film. There are, there mm-hmm. are apparently ghosts, but we don't know if the ghosts are real as, as real as ghosts can be, or is it in the mind of the governess that, uh, that, uh, Deborah Kerr plays. And I think I, I mentioned that, um, Deborah Kerr is reported to have said this was, her best role she thought this yeah. was the best thing she had ever done and her her acting is amazing you know she's you know i when i think of deborah kerr i think of her and you know shall we dance and the king and i and that sort of thing i think of that of her in that kind of role i think of her in much more bright cheerful roles but she plays a frightened person who's losing her mind so well um She's, we, we're told in the story that she is the daughter of a minister mm-hmm. and uh, like a small country church. And so has never been in outside of her small town and her people. And um, it's a perfectly plausible storyline if you think, well, here's a person who sees the world in literal angels and devils. You know, there are literal angels and devils controlling things and there are there's good and evil. And and, you know, the the two people that have died that are apparently the ghosts were lovers. Um, and we're told many times as they're discussing it, that is really disgusting. That is really evil. That's really filthy. And so if that's where her mind is, then it's pretty it's a pretty easy step to think okay, she might be just, you know, conjuring this thing up. I don't know. I asked Martin Stevens at, at Monster Bash many years ago about that scene with the kiss. I oh, yeah? Said, was that weird or anything like that? And he said, no. He said, I was, you know, I was 10 years old or whatever. And he said, he said, I didn't know anything about it. And they didn't, the director didn't really tell us anything more than we needed to know to be in the scenes. Is that they certainly didn't get into, you know, the the sort of sexual overtones of the story or the idea that this person is greatly repressed and that's what's going on. It was just, you know, and so he said that scene they set up to me like, we're going to play a trick on Miss Kerr. When you do that scene, really plant one on her and hold it, you know, see if you can make <laughs> her feel uncomfortable, you know, and it's, it'll be a joke. And he said, so I did, you know, and just, you know. He reaches up and grabs her and really kisses her hard on the lips. And, you know, and I guess to his, in his mind at 10 years old, it was like, oh, this is going to be funny. 
but we're watching it now going, ooh, this is creepy. Yeah. 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 That was, (laughs) there is, uh, yeah, almost all of his interactions with her are just borderline too much. Mm-hmm. And it does seem to escalate in terms of the, uh, you know, when he first shows up and then yeah, as the movie continues, it's just getting more and more uncomfortable. And oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it Yeah, because it's just, I know I'm starting sentences and stopping them without finishing them. So I'm going to say this, and I think I've mentioned it here on the show in the past. Movies, scary movies don't always get me. I mean, I I can't turn off the logic part of my brain where I'm trying to figure out how these things work. Why is this effective? Oh, it's because Freddie Francis did this with the camera or there's this great special effect and they did it this way, this way and that. But ghost stories still get me. Yeah. And this one, it got me. Um, It is unnerving and before I realized I had a computer issue, I had mentioned that there's that scene, I'd say maybe, was it three quarters of the way through? It's getting closer to the end mm-hmm. where Flora is off dancing yeah. in that little stone gazebo on one end of the lake. And on the other side is the ghost and the governess finds Flora and is trying to get her to come home. And she sees the ghost and she insists the ghost is there. Don't you see her, Flora? Don't you see her? And then the maid comes up. See her? See her? And the maid's like, yes, yes, whatever, whatever. But when we get back to the house, well, I didn't see anything, ma'am. And, oh. <laughs> and the filming of that in that is so wonderful um, where we're looking at, at looking across this lake at, you know, we're watching it. We can all see the woman in black, the ghost. But the film is really grainy. It looks it looks like, you know, back in the old days when you would blow up a, a scene well beyond what it should be blown up to, you know, try to try to crop in too tight. And it's it's just because film becomes really grainy. Mm-hmm. And they use that so well in the scenes where the ghosts appear. They're kind of seen sometimes through like a frosted window or a foggy kind of scene or or there's the the one scene where the the ghost appears on top of the building and it's like this, you know, the sun's in her eyes and things like that. So they really play with, am I seeing this or am I not seeing this? And yeah. And that scene, Deborah Kerr's character, Miss Giddens believes that what she has to do is get the children to admit basically that they're being possessed by the ghosts of these dead lovers and that will set them free. But of course, you know, the kid, in that case, the girl loses it and goes on a screaming rant for the next day, it, it, it appears, and right. does some incredible acting as far as she she just looks like her life is in danger. I mean, you'd believe it. Like, this is uh, this is amazing um, what, what goes on there. The kid actors were great in this. They, they really were. They were tasked with pulling something off and. They, they did it so well. and Yeah. Oh. It's, it's a tight cast, too. It's one of the things I, I, yeah. love, I love a movie like that um, where, I mean, you've got, so you've got Deborah Kerr's character, Miss Giddens. You have Mrs. Gross, the, the housekeeper, the two kids. I mean, that's, that. there's four characters for 95% of the movie. 
you know, there, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a maid and a gardener or something like that, and and they're sort of appear, you know, in a brief scene here and there, and the and the children's uncle who has hired uh, Deborah Kerr's character is in it at the beginning, but it's mostly four people for the entire film, um, and I love I love films like that. Um, I remember a few years ago, my my son who's in college was taking a film class and. Um, they had to watch all these films at home. And so we were watching them. This was a couple of years ago during the total pandemic shutdown. And so we watched the African queen together. This will be like mm. a, a bit of a tangent, but afterwards it's like, wow, that was a great movie. And I said, yeah. And like how many actors were in that film for 95% of the film? Like two people, right? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know? And this is kind of like that too. It's it that I think maybe adds to the claustrophobic feel is there's just these four people in this mammoth house. You know, this house seems to go on forever and ever. There's the the one scene where where Deborah Kerr is, is walking through the hallways at night with the candle candles, you know, and she's hearing voices and things like that. And it's like this place just goes on forever and ever. And that's that's creepy. You know. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't possibly you know how it is like you're in a in a darkened place and it's like if you can see everything it's kind of okay but if you know there's like corridors and rooms and things like that you can't see that's when your mind starts going and it's like man this is like forever it goes on mm-hmm. yeah and uh to, to speak of the cast and this is something you had brought up earlier i think before the computer issue i was discovered <laughs> Yeah. This was so it's based on the turn of the screw, but it's also uh, based on a play that was based on the turn of the screw. Yeah. And I wonder if the small cast kind of came from the fact that it was a play that mm-hmm. probably didn't have that many characters to begin with. I don't know. I've not read the original play, The Innocence. I'd like to, but yeah, the play only had the four characters uh, okay. in it, and the play took place. Um, this is just based on what I've what I've read. I haven't actually seen the play. The play all takes place in the the drawing room in like the you know sort of living room area of the the large estate so mm-hmm. play takes place all in one in one place uh and then when they decided to make the film they used that play as the beginning of the screenplay uh and brought in some different writers but uh the one the writer who ended up doing the most of the writing for it and according to the director, Jack Clayton, really gave the film its feel was Truman Capote. Uh, And he was working on, uh, at the same time he wrote this screenplay, he was working on his classic novel in cold blood. So he was, he was dealing with people who were, were fighting their demons uh, pretty seriously. And I think, I think he brought that in, you know, I think he, he, because the characters in, in that, novels certainly were people that were what would be the technical term messed up i think messed up (laughs) (laughs) they had so they had some serious demons and issues that they hadn't dealt with and that comes out in you know and i think that's one of the readings of this storyline is are there literal ghosts of these people that are come back to haunt the children are the ghosts in the imagination of this repressed governess who's never been out in the world and now is, you know, out in the big bright 
wild world? Um, is it something in between? But um, one of my favorite elements in the film, too, even though he has no speaking lines, is um, who's the actor that plays Peter Quint? Uh, uh, it's Wingard, isn't it? No. Yeah. Redgrave. No. Wingard. Wingard. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he was in Burn Witch Burn. Right. Who I, I think he's great in that. Yeah. I was surprised that he says nothing in this movie. Yeah. All he has to do is just stand there and look creepy. And he does. Man, he's got that great, you know, look, the great, like, jet black hair and the eyebrows and stuff. And he kind of has that maniacal smile. Yeah. They use the, they use the thing so well. Like, there's the one scene where he appears, the children, the children and the governor are playing hide and seek. And she hides behind a curtain in front of this big window you know, going out onto the lawn and you see him coming. And it's one of those scenes where, you know, how like someone walking towards you has a normal gait and their head kind of moves a little bit, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's like when you see them moving and the head's not moving, it's like they're floating, you know, it's like, it comes like up right up to the window. That always creeps me out in a big way. Cause it's like human beings don't walk that way. You know, <laughs> we don't move like that. And that's, you know, that, you know, and it's like three seconds of film, but it's like that you see the head coming, the face coming towards you. Uh, and it, it's nighttime, of course, and he's outside and you see the face coming towards you. And he's gradually, you know, getting the light from inside the, the room, sort of lighting his face. And, oh, man, that's, yeah. That and there's a few times when you see him like through like dirty window or dirty glass or an obscured glass. And as much as ghost movies get to me, the th the scariest parts of ghost movies for me are when there's glass or mirrors or reflections involved. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it triggers something inside me. And so when he's behind the glass and he's there, but nobody can see him, but she can or can she, oh, yeah. man, that, that was getting me pretty, pretty badly. <laughs> Yeah, in a great way I, I love that there are still movies out there that'll do that to me despite mm -hmm. the fact that I've seen so many of these so yeah I agree and you'd, you'd mentioned that most of the films that we watch don't scare you necessarily and, yeah. and that's kind of my experience too I, I, I'm often interested in the technical quality or I just love the story of it um, but this one you know from an early age of seeing it it was it was scary you know, seeing the um, just because it it puts this idea in your head. The I think we talked about um, the scene where she is the the governess is uh, in this room. It's a it's a schoolroom for the children at the at yes, the and she's looking at books or something. Or she's doing something, and she hears this sobbing, this crying, and she turns. And it's like 20 feet away from her is the ghost of this woman, the former governess, dressed in black, who's sitting at the at the desk crying. And she and she turns and starts walking towards her. And it's like, ah, she's going to encounter the ghost. She's going to, you know, she's going to try to make contact with the ghost somehow. And I love the scene because the camera follows her walking across this room, follows Deborah Kerr's character walking across this room, and you're hearing the sobbing the whole time. So we have to assume she's still seeing the ghost and she's walking closer. And now it's like maybe she's a foot away. And I don't remember if it, 
I think what it is is it's one long shot, but then just the sobbing sound effect stops as soon as you as you see the desk within the shot, and the desk is empty. There's nobody there. So what happened? I don't know. But then she she looks and she sees there's a teardrop on the on the the desk. Oh my god! Yeah. And that, <laughs> you know, would you do that? Would you would if you encountered the ghost? Would you? try to touch them or would you run like hell out the door? I, you know, I don't oh. yeah uh she yeah at that point though i feel like she's kind of lost her grip yeah <laughs> and it's just yeah maybe she wants to like know the ghost in some way maybe she wants to connect with them in some way and sort of discover who they are i mean she believes she certainly believes them to be real beings and she believes them to be evil um, maybe she feels she's, you know, maybe she's doing the old, you know, wrestling with an angel kind of thing from, from the Bible story. I don't know what, what she's up to, but she's going to, she's going to confront it somehow. But she will see, I think she later in that she's, she's speaking to the governor or the, the housekeeper. And she says, I felt sorry for her. I felt pity for her. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she, maybe there was some kind of connection there. I hadn't thought about that. Wow. There's so many levels to this film. I mean, it's, there really are. It's a scary movie. It's a great ghost, spooky house movie with spooky, creepy kids. It could be a psychological thriller. Is this person imagining this all in their mind? Uh, are they messed up in some way? You know, um, is there good and evil in the world? Is there misunderstood characters in the world? I don't know. That's wow, a lot. There. There's a lot of ways to, to read this movie. And, you know, on first watch, it's a ghost story. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch this. I'm definitely going to add that Criterion release to my, my wish list because, man, uh, there's a lot here. And I would like to watch it again and try to look at it from different angles. Is it all in her head? Mm-hmm. Does everybody see the ghosts and they're gaslighting her? Are they even really ghosts? Maybe there's just people walking around. You know, there's so many different things that you can look at in this and take away from it. I certainly believe that this is probably her best performance because she gives us so much. Yeah, she is, she's incredible. And there's the transformation, um, in the beginning, I think you mentioned the beginning, um, you know, she's a young, young woman, uh, Mm -hmm. and believe in the story or in the play, she was said to be like 20 years old. So, you know, her first she mentions this is, would be my first job this would be her first employment um so she's she's going out in the world and she uh, she comes to the house at Bly. that's where the place is located and it's gorgeous it's huge it's sprawling you know lakes and trees and fields and everything is bright and there's flowers and birds singing and the film goes on it it becomes more and more inside the the um the building inside the estate or at nighttime everything becomes darker her clothing changes too if you notice in the beginning of the film she's wearing you know kind of dressy sort of victorian era clothing the big the big bustle skirt and the whole you know uh little cap and the gloves and everything like that uh but as it goes on she starts wearing black more and more and that's an interesting change that goes on in the in the film. Um, I noticed too in the in the the beginning she's 
properly done up as a Victorian lady would be. She has her hair all up, you know, the way you would, would wear it. But in the one scene where she's like seeking through the house, she believes she's hearing the ghost. Her hair is down, you know, she's kind of, she's not properly made up anymore. And it's like, she's kind of, you know, uh, let her guard down a little bit. It's just, there's, there's a lot going on in this film. I hadn't, I, I think I noticed the clothing change, but I hadn't noticed her keeping herself presentable, like, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, you know, letting the hair down and, and just having less control over herself, I suppose, as opposed to what it was earlier in the film. She's losing sleep. There's that creepy comment. Oh, yes, we, we know you're not sleeping well because we hear you moaning. Yeah. Why, why are you listening to her sleep? Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with you kids? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there's the whole thing where, with Miles. The the interaction uh, between Miles and her, it just, it starts off awkwardly anyway. Yeah. Because Flora is basically predicting that he's going to get kicked out of school and sent home before she gets notified that, yes, in fact, he got kicked out of school and sent home. Mm-hmm. So it already starts off a little on the weird side, but as the movie continues and his relationship with her evolves, changes, whatever, referring to her as dear over and over and over again, it's just, oh, yeah, uh, it's enough to make me squirm. Yeah. Just everything about this movie seems built to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. And I noticed, um, so yeah, he's been kicked out of school for some reason, which they don't really relate. And Deborah Kerr's character, the governess, really confronts him like towards the very end of the movie. At this point, uh, she sent everybody else away, and it's just she and and Miles because she's convinced that she needs to sort of exercise this demon out of him. Um, which now that I think about it, it, it relates to some sort of exorcist kind of films because there's this question of like, well, you can you exercise the demon if there's a demon in someone? Can you exercise that demon without like damaging the person that they've possessed? Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's an open question in 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 stories, and so they're having this really intense conversation where she's really pushing like, well, why were you kicked out of school? And for whatever reason, they've gone into the greenhouse at this place, at the estate. And if you watch it closely, they're sweating. They're like, as the conversation goes on, they're like perspiring seriously because they're in a greenhouse, of course, you know. But they're having this intense conversation. They're screaming at each other and sweat's dripping down their faces. And it's like, it again just adds to this feeling of like, claustrophobia and I can't you know I can't get out of this situation I don't know you know how do I get out of this I think he, I think he actually breaks a window eventually and like well yeah because <laughs> he breaks a window by throwing the turtle through it window right yes like dude <laughs> let some air into the place but he's yeah there's his sister's turtle through the window that's, <sighs> that's top-notch creepy right there and of course, we see, we see the ghosts through the through the window too. Again, we mm, see the ghosts yeah. in there, and uh, wow! And then the ending, oh, like I see, 
and I didn't. I wasn't ready for that. I I was not ready for that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't believe they can throw you for another loop? Do we give the ending away here? Do we? It's just the, the spoilers thing that that Vlad yeah. Yeah, I think we got the spoiler alert. So, spoiler, yeah. in case you didn't take Dracula seriously earlier. Yeah, she's... Uh, what? Doing, you know, like... You know, Miles appears to be acknowledging that he sees the ghost. Maybe, I'm not sure. And she's like, oh, I've finally broken through. You, you finally admit I was right. And he dies! Oh, my God! <laughs> It died right in her arms. Like, like, what? Well, what? Just no, you can't. Yeah, you can't do that. Whale. That's just like, oh, that like slays me. Is that you know? I mean, it's spooky enough. The kid keels over and dies. Is lying there with his eyes open, but she lets out this wail when she recognizes what has happened. Oh man, yeah. So the movie begins. The opening credits. It's it's very dark very stark it's her with her hands folded in prayer mm -hmm. and then it pulls back and we go to the movie and then it kind of ends in a very similar if not the similar pose the exact pose yeah. mm -hmm. and it's just it's a gut punch i mean i'm already kind of freaking out a little bit because they've got this frantic camera moving around the circle of statues and every once in a while it's not the statue hand it's the ghost hand but mm -hmm. then you look again no it's the statue you, did you really see that you know it's moving around so fast so fast and then miles and then and it's an unnerving dead kid i mean dead, you know, <laughs> the, the children dying is unnerving anyway but he's just laying there with his eyes open just yeah. oh my and then mm. again it's like if you know, if it's like, if I haven't already made the point here about how weird this is, she kisses him on the lips, like in this tender <laughs> kiss. It was like, oh, it was creepy enough the first time. Now she's kissing a dead person. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this this was a good one. Um, and I, I don't remember if I said this during this take two or not, but. I know I said this about Fiend Without a Face last week. I'm going to say it about this one, too. This is one of my absolute favorite discoveries, thanks to the podcast. My favorite thing about the podcast is that I've made so many friends over the years. Second favorite is that I've discovered some pretty cool movies. And mm. this is one, even though it unnerved me and it got to me and I'm spooked out a little bit just thinking about it now, mm -hmm. I do want to go back and rewatch it. I want to, I don't know conquer this movie i i just i want to know more about it and and take in everything that's there and i know it's going to take several viewings to get there because there's a lot and i love it and that yeah i i would second that second that 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 um the the monster kid community around the podcast and the uh the streams on saturday and on tuesday uh, that i look forward to is is Equal parts, you know, the, the people that I've gotten to know, and, and some of them, you know, I've met at Monster Bash and things like that, too, but gotten to know a lot more because we're sharing our thoughts uh, right. on the streams and, and such like that and on the social media pages. But, yeah, then you hear about a film and you think, and maybe you saw it at some point, you think, well, maybe I should go back and look at that. Or, you know, or you'll show a, you'll show a print uh, on the, the, uh, the stream that maybe I've not seen that version of it before. And that makes me, mm -hmm. oh, I want to go see that again. That, that's cool. You know, I remember it as, 
you know, a lot, a lot of these films, I think I mentioned, I, I saw this, I'm sure first on TV, um, you know, on a late movie somewhere along the line, it was probably edited. I don't remember exactly, obviously, but you know, the things I remember were the ghost scenes. That's the stuff I remember from as a kid. Um, now watching it, uh, it, it takes on all different meanings, but, but a lot of us, I think watched different films, in the early days of, of video cassettes and such, you know, when they were put, just putting out anything they could grab their hands on. And, and some of those prints were really rough. I mean, they had been stored in a garbage can someplace, you know, on a back street in Brooklyn. I don't know what, where they came from, but uh, <laughs> then, you know, now you see them on a Blu-ray, you think, wow, this is actually a very watchable, interesting film. But, but this one, you know, just always has been. And I'd probably, if I saw it on TV now and thinking about it, back in the 70s it would have been in the tv format it's a cinemascope film it needs you really need to see this film oh you're right yeah i, I didn't even think about i'm so used to it now and i'm so we're so spoiled yeah we've got widescreen tvs and, and letterbox presentations but mm -hmm. yeah if this aired on television back in the wow i can't imagine this movie working nearly as well because that cinemascope the freddie francis cinematography yeah. The way he's able to use that vast field of vision to really, as the movie continues, narrow further and further and further into her descent into whatever's happening here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's elements that he does in the, the cinematography that are so wonderful in that there's scenes where there's a character in the foreground and a character in the background. And I, I don't know enough about the workings of how they do this sort of thing, but they're both in focus and, mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that um, uh, I'll use a visual arts reference because it's my background. Uh, Andrew Wyeth did a lot in his paintings and people would think of them as realistic. They'd say, Oh, it's so realistic. Everything was so real. But you look at some of his paintings, like his, his famous painting, Christina's world. And there's a woman in the foreground and she is just as much in focus and in detail as the house that is like 500 yards away. And there's something weird about it and you can't quite put your finger on it when you first see it. But as you think about it, it's like, well, no, if I'm, if I'm focused on this person that's in the foreground and there's something 500 yards away, it's sure not going to be in focus. It's not going to be in, in detail, as much detail as the thing in the foreground. And he does that in a couple scenes and it has this weird sort of element, I think, to making it sort of surreal, like, Everything is, you know, it's like it's a different plane or something. It's a different reality somehow because it doesn't, like somewhere in the back of your mind, it's like, no, wait, that that person standing on the other side of the room should not be in focus, but they are. They're mm -hmm. clear. I don't know how they're, they're doing that exactly, but um, yeah, it's amazing. There's a lot of things in this that kind of work on that subliminal level, even right down to... The, the transitions between scenes, mm -hmm. very, very long fades. And I did look this one up because I was, mm -hmm. I thought the fades lasted a long time, but the, the fades from one scene to another, they take so long. And I don't know why that added to the unnervingness, I guess, of the movie, but there's something about that that is lingering and just really makes it feel off a little bit to me. Yeah. Maybe that's a holdover from the fact that from the play, because the play was set all in one room. Oh, 
and you know and that kind of compresses the action and everything into this one space like yeah this is where this is where you're trapped you're not getting out of here everything's here and um yeah that could be i don't know that's, that's but yeah the beautiful beautiful cinematography the acting the white roses that appear in there and the petals are always falling off it's just so much again we talked earlier i think about the hammer connection because it's filmed in the same studios as a lot of hammer films with freddie francis and other people um and it doesn't really look like it. maybe it's because it's black and white too i mean uh Ooh, that's a good point too uh to me this is like you know probably if you're if you're going to compare it to other films like if you wanted to show a a uh you know multi-film bill where you had films that looked kind of similar you'd want to show stuff like the haunting and and things like that uh, yeah era early 60s yeah there's there's an interesting topic what was going on at that time that they made so many beautiful quote horror movies they made some beautiful black and white horror movies at that time that are sophisticated and um thoughtful and and really creepy and really play on the i'm not going to show you too much because you know what's invisible or what's just on the corner of your eye is perhaps more powerful than what you see coming at you no, straight. I don't know, but yeah, there's something about that particular era because the haunting's another really, really good one. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have things like the House on Haunted Hill, which is also great, but it, it's certainly not that kind of. And I can't remember if I said this earlier or not during this recording, and I don't know if I like this term or not. It doesn't have that cerebral feel that this one has. This works, like I said, when I first saw it as a kid. You know, it was the seeing the ghosts. That was the the creepy thing. You know, you see that ghost there. One of my favorites is one of the scenes where Deborah Kerr is walking through the house. And of course, this is big house and this is the 1800s. So there's no lights, you know, it's just candles here and there. So lighting is very sparse. It's like a second you see this woman walk, walk past at the end of the hall. And she calls out like the maid's name, but the, the, the woman doesn't react. And it's like, that was a ghost <laughs> and it's like it's that that sort of thing that's what stuck with me as a kid but now watching it you know i'm i'm so much more into watching deborah kerr's character deteriorate through the movie and become more frantic as she's trying to kind of figure out what's going on and uh the children's performance you know how they're again like well, am I, am I reading something into what they're doing? Like kids are weird. Kids say weird things. Yes. And if you start off from a perspective of like, well, they're probably possessed by demons, then <laughs> say is like, well, yeah, so of course they're possessed by demons. Of course they'd say that. But if it's just as the, the, the housekeeper is like, well, they're just children, you know, they're children playing children's games. They're being goofy. They do things the kids do like, then that's equally believable too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It, it presents the ghost story in a way that I think most of us can can relate to and could could imagine ourselves in. Yeah. 
I definitely want to pick this one up. I want to spend more time with it. If the YouTube listings that I found for this are any indication, I'm sure they were lifted from the, the documentary and everything else that I haven't watched yet. Uh, we're probably lifted from the Criterion disc, and uh, I definitely want to spend some time with this one and just watch it again and show it to people who haven't seen it. Like, this is the kind of movie that I feel like Dominique would really like. Uh, and I don't know why I can't think of any other names, but I think most monster kids are going to dig this one. Is right. it scary in your face? Is a guy in a suit coming at you? No. no, but it doesn't need it. In fact, if we saw more of the ghosts, I think it would kind of cheapen it. Mm -hmm. this, this one really delivers. And it's, it's, it's um, that's perhaps an interesting idea is just that it, it might for some folks, some monster kids, it might blur the lines a bit about what, what we accept as a horror film. Um, hmm. I don't know if when this was, was first air first, released if it was called a horror film or what i don't know what you know i would assume they must have said that or a mystery or suspense or a thriller or something i don't know what what terms they would they would use but my experience watching that film then and even watching it now is is probably closer to the experience i had the first time i watched silence of the lambs than like the first wow. time it's dracula because the first time I watched Science of the Lambs, I was literally sitting on the back of the seat in the theater because I was so, you know, unnerved and, you know, the tension was ratcheting up to such a level as they were reaching the climax that it was like I couldn't sit, I couldn't stay in my seat. I was like about ready to burst. <laughs> That's kind of how it is in this, where it's like I'm become, you know, the tension builds from... You know, they, they give you a nice little start, but it's like pretty quick. They start building the tension. They start setting stuff up. And by the end, man, you are like, you know, you're just, uh, your hair standing on end. You're like, you got to, you know, it's like, <laughs> I need to go out for a walk or something. I need to do something after that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, it yeah, it's not, maybe this is a weird thing. It was not a fun movie. Like in... <laughs> You know, I mean, to me, I, I love The Ghost of Frankenstein. It's one of my favorite films. That's a fun movie to me. I enjoy watching that. I have a ball watching that one. Um, I love, you know, I love all the kaiju films. I have a great time watching those. I don't have a great time watching this, but I am thrilled watching this. That's maybe another way to put it. Um, mm. I'm, I'm deeply moved about when I watch this movie. I mean, everybody knows, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite movie. I talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, th I think the next time I watch this one, I'm going to make sure it's in the evening. I'm going to really set myself up for some scare. <laughs> <laughs> Turn off all the lights, have some popcorn, just make sure it's late at night, you know. Uh, oh. <laughs> make, sure, make sure you know where Wednesday is, because if Wednesday jumps on you... <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn's gonna go flying. You're gonna have. Oh no! <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Uh, what a treat! What a, a delicious treat this was for me. Not not having this kind of experience with a monster movie or horror movie or whatever you want to call this in so long. This this was this was special. 
Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's 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 been a favorite for a long time, and I love showing it to people, uh, especially um, and maybe a lot of us in the Monster Kid fandom have this experience where you know a lot, of, like a majority of your friends are also not Monster Kids, like the people you work with, the people you're around, and things like that. And it's a film you can show someone, um, and everybody I've ever showed it to, whether they have any interest in or connection to monster kid kind of films, they come away going, wow, that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, that was creepy. That was weird. What the heck just happened? (laughs) But they react. They, they, they feel the power of the film. That's for sure. It comes across. Yeah. Uh, I kept thinking this whole time, I really wish my girlfriend wasn't at a rehearsal because I think she'd like to see this. (laughs) Well, so that's yeah next viewing that's that's a perfect way to start a relationship is see how they react to the innocence <laughs> you a lot <laughs> uh i will report back next week if we're still together um <laughs> what were you showing me this creepy old kid kissing the woman oh my goodness <laughs> Oh, Kevin, thank you for doing this. Thank you for all of your patience as we deal with technical issues here. One thing that was lost was a round of the Classic Five. You want to do it again? Yes, let's go go for it. I don't remember what questions we did before, so we may pull some new ones. You okay with that? That'd be fine. Yes. Excellent. All right. The Classic Five. The Classic Five. So the Classic Five, it's a game that we play on Monster Kid Radio. It's a literal deck of cards. Each card has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? No wrong answers. It's just a way to get to know our friends and new friends and old friends through our favorite medium, monster movies. Kevin, are you ready to play? We are ready to play. Okay. Now, I do remember some that we talked about earlier, but I'm like I said, I'm just going to draw some brand new ones. So right off the top. Uh, okay. Dwight Fry as Renfield or Fritz? Ooh. Um, I will go, I will pick the unexpected, what I think is the unexpected answer, and say Fritz, because as as wonderfully maniacal as Renfield is, and that and his, oh, that's just so, um, <laughs> well, there's so <laughs> many scenes, like the laughing, the first time you hear the laugh, and, oh. You know, yeah. and when he's talking to, you know, Dr. Seward, you know, heed his words, you know, and it's like, no, master, I didn't tell them that stuff. It just, but Fritz does these little things in the, in, in Frankenstein that are so wonderful. Um, there's the scene where um, uh, they're knocking outside the door. It's the storm and everything and everything's about to take place. And they're, you know, they're coming to, to pick up. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein and they're banging on the door and he's going down like, all right, all right, all right, all right, you know, and he's, he's going down the steps with this cane, this little cane that's like far too small to be of any use at all, but he's putting it, you know, he's doing it the whole way down and then he stops and pulls up his sock. That <laughs> is like one of those little pieces of acting that's just brilliant. Um, there, there's, I love that kind of scene. There's a scene, one of my favorite uh, Lon Chaney movies, Outside the Law, he plays a really nasty villain, and they're in a they're in a, a meeting in a restaurant, you know, planning the big heist or whatever they're doing, and uh, they get up to leave, and one of the guys 
throws down like a, a coin or two as tip. Mm-hmm. And Cheney's character gets up. He's like the last one. He gets up and kind of looks to the left, looks to the right, and picks up the tips and puts it in his pocket and walks out. And it's one of those little things that's just like brilliant. It doesn't really advance the story, but it just is this little character quirk that just uh, is just so lovely and wonderful. It tells you this little bit about the character. Like Fritz stops and pulls his sock up. Like, what's that all about? What's <laughs> No, I love that. I, I'll go with Fritz. All right. Uh, question number two. What is your favorite follow-up to The Invisible Man? Hmm. Wow. It's been a while since I watched that whole series, but uh, The Invisible Agent, I remember. Yes. It. There's an enemy spy at large, an invisible man. It's, it's amazing. You will be of great help to us. Who is this terrifying Phantom Commando? What is his amazing mission? See The Invisible Agent, suggested by H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, starring Ilona Massey and John Hall, with Peter Lorre, Sir Cedric Hardwick, J. Edward Bromberg, Albert Bosserman, in the most amazing story of our time. You know, it kind of... It blended that sort of World War II era espionage, good guy, bat, you know, you know, secret agent kind of stuff. And it was it was a viable movie in that genre. You know, and they threw it's like, well, yeah, the Invisible Man, of course, you know, like we remember from before. But um, I remember that as being a really good, really good film. Really nice story and zips along and it's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Invisible Agent. Huge fan of that one. All right. I'm going to dip into the kaiju deck here because I know you're a huge kaiju fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you could have been on set during the production of a kaiju movie, which one would it have been? Oh, wow. Well, I guess I would go with um, if I could have been there for the original for Gojira. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly just because I would like, I would love to have been able to i would have needed a translator or or learn japanese well i would love to have been able to be a part of the conversations too of the whole film and and how it was conceived and made one of the things i love about that movie is the sort of judicious use of the monster itself you know Mm -hmm. that we're not like overwhelmed by it all the time it's like it comes in at just the right moments to give it the right punch but um, wow, what would that have been like too? In that, uh, and this was like what eight, eight, nine years after Hiroshima. Oh wow, yeah. People, how did people acting in that film relate to this whole idea of you know what kinds of things might be unleashed by by uh, nuclear weapons? Um, and you know what was that? What was that like? It's something I, I think about. My son and I talk about this because we we watch we've been watching our way through all the Ultraman series, and we'll see these things every once in a while, and think about like, wow, you know, these actors in these films were alive when that happened. You know, they they experienced it in some way. Like, what what's that like for them? How how does this story resonate for those folks? And uh, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to know more about that. Plus, it would just be cool to see like the birth of this genre. You know, 
ground zero right there when oh wow yeah uh did they have any idea did they have any idea that it would, it would spawn you know a, a, a phenomenon that we'd be watching this many years later you know and i'm right there going to going to see the new movies whenever they come out and yeah and before our when we were talking, you said that this is actually going to be showing somewhere near you soon, right? One of the local art museums has, has a great film uh, series. They just went to see some Buster Keaton silent movies with live orchestra. And they mentioned that, uh, I think it's coming up in a couple of weeks, they're going to be showing the original Gojira on the large screen. I thought, that, that sounds great. I would love to see, see that. Um, and interestingly enough, they're showing it alongside a documentary about one of the uh, Japanese internment camps that's here in, oh. uh, that just was uh, designated as a national historical site. Uh, so be pretty pretty interesting to see that interesting combination of the two the two things together. Wow, yeah. Wow. And I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be so, so awesome to see. All right. Uh, let's see. Card number four. Question number four. Not counting the original. What is your favorite Hammer Frankenstein film? Hmm. Well, um, gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd have to go with, with Must Be Destroyed. Okay. Yes. Because Veronica Carlson, she's so lovely. And she was such a wonderful uh, person to see at the bash over the years. Um, and, you know, and she talked about that film at length, too. She told many a story about, you know, meeting with Peter Cushing to, dis to discuss, uh, you know, the scene where he attacks her in that film, um, which to me never makes sense. I mean, I, I don't. I don't understand that scene. I'll admit, I just that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, um, I think she said that they wanted to make his character a little more despicable. He's like, well, he's already a mad scientist. Like, how much more? Yeah, what more do you need? Yeah, and it, and it was, and it's kind of like, well, if you're gonna really do that, then you've got to be a little bit more. You've got to be more violent in your attack too. Like, I don't buy. You know, I don't know, but still. I love that film. The, one of the qualities of it is the is the sort of surrounding characters who are kind of roped into this thing and can't get their way out. You know, they start off as honorable sort of people, but it's like, well, you know, you hang around with the wrong crowd, and look what happens: you get drawn into bringing people back from the dead. You know, <laughs> stitching bodies together, <laughs> doing this kind of weird stuff. Um, but that's that's a really compelling thing and that's you know with a, a lot of the monster movies the the pathos is is the thing that's often stays with you you know it's it's often the monster that we feel sorry for but in that case you know some of the other characters are like yeah these were nice people you know gonna live a nice life and then they got in with the wrong guy and pretty soon they found themselves in some place that they couldn't get out of and Wow, that happens to a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So very relatable, very relatable characters in that. All right, final question, final card. Favorite William Castle film? 
Oh, I suppose the first one that pops to mind would be Tingler, right? I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is the Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by The Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from The Tingler? You got the merch, you got the, the effect, you got the whole, you yeah. know, got the cool actors in it that everyone loves. It's like, wow, that's, you know, that, that just seems like the epitome of, you know, the, of his, his films. Like if you're going to try to explain to someone, well, this is what this guy did was made movies like this, you know, and it had all these gimmicks and gadgets and was also like a very fun, entertaining film without all of that too, but, but it had all that, you know. Yeah, it's one of the best ones. I love it. I love it. All right, well, that was the Classic Five. And Kevin, this was awesome. Uh, I, again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's always great. I love the podcast and the uh, I look forward to the streams so much to get together with, with friends and watch movies and laugh at the same things together and, and right. enjoy the same things together. That is a great thing. That's that's a wonderful boy, could we have imagined the technology way back then? I mean, we're we're living in in science fiction land as far as being able to to zoom and Skype and all this kind of stuff. It's great. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're pretty lucky and uh the stream is the only time I'll encourage people to actually chat during a film. Yes. <laughs> this is a great chat, a great conversation there. You've got some music out there. Yeah. I want to let people know how to find it. Well, kevinslick.com is probably the best place to find. Um, that's the best place to, to communicate with me. And if you like to buy physical copies of CDs, there are some there. There's also books of poetry and, and other such like that on the site. And if you just want to listen... If you search for Kevin Slick on Spotify or Tidal or Amazon or Rhapsody or all those kind of things, you'll find all kinds of uh, of different stuff out there. Um, it, the music's out there in, in all different places. I occasionally will just Google and sort of see where my music shows up. And I'm often surprised. <laughs> I found recently, I found a snippet of one of my pieces was used on an episode of CSI. Uh, back in 2008, I had no idea, and it was like, you know, wow. a little piece of it there, and uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was creepy, creepy scene, creepy scene with creepy people doing creepy things. Went, oh, okay, it's good. <laughs> Minor key music? Yes. Thank you. Glad <laughs> <laughs> provide that. Right on. All right, so kevinslick.com. We'll make sure people know how to get there. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. And... Next time you recommend a movie, I'm going to move a lot quicker ah, to get ah. you back on the show to, to, to talk about it. Because this was this was an affecting, effective movie. And I loved it. So thank you. Certainly. Thank you. And this time it did record. 
Great. Which is awesome. All right. We're at the end of the show. Thank you so much for being here. Big thanks to Mark and Kenny for being part of the show this week. And of course, big thanks to Kevin Slick as well. There will be links in the show notes to check up on and follow along with everything that our guests have going on. So Kevin's music and his writing and everything else. Mark Matsky's Monster Study Group podcast. I think the archives are still there. Plus, Sasquatch. Check that out. It's coming up here soon. You can find all of this at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to our contact information as well. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. You'll also find links to the music that we're playing this week, as well as our Amazon affiliate links. So if you want to pick up a copy of The Innocence of Your Very Own, please consider using this link because, well, we're an Amazon affiliate. And it helps us out here at Monster Kid Radio Vancouver. MKRV. You know, I'm starting to get attached to that. I don't know why, because I've only been here for, what, six months? But MKRV sounds kind of cool. Anyway, Monster Kid Radio has a lot of stuff in the works, and you can keep up with us online through our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Reddit, our Patreon, and our Twitch. Links to all of this are in the show notes. Go check it out. What's coming up next week on the show? I'm not 100% sure yet. I've put a number of feelers out this week to try to find somebody to come onto the show to talk about something, and I haven't heard back yet. Now, I do have a few people in the wings who are like, yeah, just name a time and place. And I appreciate that. I just, I hate to have people just kind of waiting around on hold for me to just say, hey, how about now? So I do have some feelers out. I will get somebody on the show for next week. I can guarantee you that. If nothing else, I'll just come here and riff for like an hour or so about something monster movie related. Hopefully you won't have to just listen to me. Anyway, pay attention to the website. That's where we're going to make announcements, or at least when the new episode comes out. Check it out. Trying to think if there's anything else, and there really isn't. I'm going to go get ready for the stream this weekend at the Monster Kid Movie Club, Giant Monster Movies, The Great Buddha Arrival, and a bunch of other great stuff. Come check it out. Until next week, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Dark and Stormy. That is copyright 2018, The Primitive Finks. You can find it on their album, Cave Party. And you can find them at theprimitivefinks.bandcamp.com. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.
Ha, 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 ha,